Welcome to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is a conversation with current and former journalists and some of the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. Why are we doing it and what are we trying to accomplish? Well, we're trying to bring some clarity to the uh, listener as to what's going on in the local economy as well as the real estate market so you can get a sense of what might be coming down the pike and what might actually be impacting, again, the economy and or real estate prices. So who do I have for this particular week for the podcast? We have two of our regular. That is a gentleman who used to write about white-collar crime and publicly traded companies for the South Florida Business Journal. Now he does public relations and marketing when he decides to do something. That is John Fackler, who's in a very chipper and happy mood today. What's going on, Mr. Happy? Not too much. Not too much. All right. Fantastic. Anything you want to add before I introduce our next two uh, 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 roundtable panelists? No, but if you hear me choking, it's because I cook the steak and the smoke is, is killing me. That's about it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Thanks for carving out time um, to do the podcast. Much appreciated. Um, who else do we have? We have another gentleman who is in public relations marketing right now. He has his own firm called Cruise Communications. Before that, though, he was a journalist for 25 years, uh, primarily in the state of Florida, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. That's Jean Gruce. What's going on, Jean? Hey, Peter, always happy to be talking about life in the land of announcements. In the land of announcements, absolutely. You're in a happy mood. Mr. Fackler's in a happy mood. Let's talk to a gentleman who I definitely want to get his perspective this week. Why? Because he was in the heart of all of the international headlines going on in South Beach and Ocean Drive. Many of you probably either saw the footage or you heard about it or you read about it. Who's this? This is a gentleman who's been an investigative reporter for north of 18 years. His work appears in every publication from the Daily Beast to the Real Deal, the whole variety of others. That is Francisco Alvarado. Francisco, did you survive uh, Ocean Drive and Spring Break uh, Miami 2021? Well, yes, I did. I also got a T-shirt saying so. <laughs> you didn't get the COVID, too, as well, did you? No, I did. Thankfully, I didn't, get, I didn't get the COVID. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Francisco, it's just serendipitous that uh, you were scheduled to come on this podcast at this moment in time. A lot of your videos, I think, uh, maybe some of the listeners, they don't even realize a lot of the footage they saw about a guy making it rain over at uh, A Street and Ocean Drive right before the police started shooting, like, pepper balls or something to clear the crowd. A lot of those videos were, were yours. Can you, you sort of give us an idea about what was going on, what was the vibe like, and how did you know to be in the right place at the right time uh, when the pepper balls and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, started flying? Well, it was unbridled hedonism on Ocean Drive, pretty much. I mean, it was, uh, it was like every, you know, you'd walk every block and there'd just be like crowds of, uh, you know, young people just dancing in the streets, um, and, you know, with loudspeakers, boom boxes, uh, you know, not, you know, not caring about, you know, the sirens and, and the police and the loudspeakers, you know, telling them they had to leave the area. So, um, one thing that there was another stampede right before the one I got. Okay. Um, and you know that one I didn't, I wasn't able to get on on, on video, but it was like I was, um, I think I was a little bit, uh, you know, close to News Cafe or a little bit before News Cafe, and all of a sudden you just like it was just like this mass of people running in you know in my direction, and it was like crazy. And I was like, okay, so the cops are doing something because you know why else are they running? Um, so I just started like walking towards where the, all the, you know, police ATVs were, were situated because you could see that that's how they were, you know, they were, they were slowly coming up ocean drive and their ATVs with the sirens going and getting everybody, you know, telling people to leave. So I just, you know, went all the way as close as possible to where the cops were. 
And right there, there was like, you know, still a large group of people having a good time, having a blast. And then this guy just, you know, I don't know what he got up on or whatever, but he, he got up on something and he just starts throwing, you know, gas into the air and everybody's scrambling <laughs> And everybody's scrambling to, you know, get, you know, to pick up their, you know, a few bills. Um, and then it was just like, it just happened so quick. I mean, then, you know, within seconds, I just heard the, and then everybody started screaming and running. And then, you know, like it took me a minute, but then, you know, I, you know, I started, you know, like running too. And, but, um, I definitely inhaled some, some, some pepper. Wow. And how were you, did you had a mask on, like the typical medical mask you used to get into a restaurant or a grocery store? Oh, I had a K95. I was wearing a K95 mask. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's, you know, yeah, you definitely need a gas mask so the pepper balls don't, don't irritate you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, now one of the things being uh, uh, said, at least uh, or that I'm reading and I'm hearing is that um, basically people were throwing, uh, you know, nobody was wearing a mask if it's going to be a super, super spreader event. What, what did you see uh, while you were there? Were te- people taking precautions? Are these people all been vaccinated no. and they weren't necessarily worried? Or were, were they, um, they, they abiding by the rules? What, 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 you know, well, somebody who was right there. I mean, people, I mean, like that I spoke to didn't, were not vaccinated. I mean, we're talking about like these are all people that are in their 20s, early 30s. So, I mean, vaccine is almost like the last thing on their mind. And, you know, a lot of people were not wearing masks. A lot of people, you know, just, you know, like, just, you know, like all all up on each other. Um, just like, you know, sweaty bodies all, all up on each other. Uh, you know, a lot of screaming, a lot of hollering, uh, you know, a lot of weed smoking and, you know, obviously <laughs> like, you know, um, people drinking out of, you know, bottles, uh, because everything was closed. Yep. Uh, with the, you know, it was just, you know, like basically, you know, an attitude of not caring. You know, I mean, it was just like, you know, the pandemic was probably like the furthest thing from their minds. Yep, yep. Um, and you were there on assignment, or you were there? Yeah, because... I was there on assignment. I was there on okay. assignment for, for the Daily Beast. Okay, okay. And and I guess what I'm wondering is before the before they started clearing the streets, um, what was the vibe like? Was everybody chill? Everybody relaxed? Or I mean, was it no? It was, was, it no, what was it? no. It was just it was bananas. I mean. Absolute, absolute pandemonium. I mean, it was you know they were. It was like how I described it. I mean, it was it was just a full on you know uh, block party with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Now, now because of that, uh, the city of Miami Beach took they shut down the causeways. They put in place an eight o'clock curfew to what six a.m. Right. the next morning. It, it, right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, for the weekends. Um, I mean, they did an emergency. I mean, it was an emergency on that day, on Saturday. Okay. And then the next day, they voted to, I guess, you know, have it in place for, for the rest uh, until mid-April, um, from Thursday to Sunday. Um, I guess it apparently, I mean, worked. I mean, as far as like getting the messaging out, because this past weekend was completely like, you know, it was complete opposite of what happened, you know, on the on the first Saturday they did the 8 p.m. curfew. Now, 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 a question for you, and, and I'm not necessarily looking to blame the city of Miami Beach, but if you close Ocean Drive to traffic, isn't that where people are going to congregate? Isn't it natural that, you know, if there's no street traffic, aren't you pretty much going to hang out at Ocean Drive because you've got the great view, um, uh, uh, you know, you got the walkway, Loomis Park, you have all that, and you have all the restaurants 
and you have the bars right. and stuff. I mean, or or am I missing something? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then you know, there's also like there's you know there's no no nightclubs are open, and then there's like no events going on, so there's nowhere else for them to go. There, you know, that's it. You know, the, the beach. You know, being in front of the beach. That's where they can. That's where they can go and congregate. And um, and that's you know that's kind of like the the sad byproduct of of this pandemic, right? That you know that that we have these curfews and that we have and that you know you still can't have these large gatherings inside inside nightclub venues. Um, and um, so, but at the same time, you have all these people that are just coming here because we are somewhat open, you know. Yes. And and. and you see, you know, I mean, so yeah, people are naturally going to come down here for the weather and the openness factor. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, I, I will see, uh, I'll let John and, and, and John if they want to say something, but, but let me ask you one other question. During our podcast last week, um, uh, John Fackler was saying that one of the things that really stuck in his mind from the spring break crowd was all the twerking on top of cars, especially yeah. police cars. Did you see any of that? And what is the significance? Why do people get up on a car? And basically start twerking. And and if you want to know what twerking is, go back to last week's podcast. Mr. Factor gives a great description of what twerking actually is. So so um, uh, Francisco, why why do people get on cars and why are they twerking? Well, um, I didn't see anybody getting on you know police cars, but there was definitely yeah getting on you know uh, on the hoods of regular cars and <laughs> the the roofs of regular cars. Uh, I just think that you know they they you know getting on top of the cars so that you know you know so everybody can get the best view. I mean like you know, you, you can you can actually see them. You know, on stage, it's kind of like a stage. You know, it's like a, it's a place to perform. Got it, got it, got it. Um, John, uh, John Fackler, you got you guys. Uh, you want to ask um, uh, Francisco anything? Uh, because he was right in the middle of it all, and again, it made international headlines. I listened to BBC World, and it was one of the lead stories talking about what was going on. CNN, you name it, everybody was talking about South Beach Ocean Drive, and Francisco was right there. So, uh, anything you guys want to ask, John or Jean? Well. Not so much about the twerking, but uh, apparently <laughs> um, the story is still, you know, the Miami Beach situation is still being talked about. Even as of today, I saw a story where it was mentioned deep down in the story in CNBC about um, the curfew being extended for another two weeks. Um, the eight, curfew from 8 to 6 in the, 8 at night till 6 in the morning is going to be extended for two weeks. So um, it was sort of an aside, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, like I think, yeah, just because it's you know they're they're just doing it to um, to just discourage any kind of like you know congregating, and and I, I think yeah, like I said, I think it worked because it was you know it was not hectic this weekend, and um, and you know and I've been out there after the you know after Saturday and it was doing more interviews and people were just you know making alternate plans to go to other you know to get off the beach. Um, cause again, you know, we're somewhat open. So like there's, you know, there's plenty of places people can go and, and, and you know, and, and twerk <laughs> the night away. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Groose, you want to, you want to, um, well, discuss anything with well, uh, Francisco? Yeah, Francisco, I, I guess what I was wondering was, I mean, I, I, what I was kind of curious about was didn't, didn't the city see this coming? I mean, it had been sort of building in the weeks prior, and it seems to me like they knew the spring breakers were coming. They were all the hotels were given cheap cheap deals, and I mean they knew they knew this was coming. And I guess I guess um, what I'm curious is like why were they caught flat-footed like this and let it get out of hand? You know. Um. 
I'm guessing because you know, like you know, like you know, that's a fine line between, you know, like having order and cracking down on people just looking to have fun. I mean. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's been vandalism, you know, and there's also been, you know, shootings and, you know, there was, um, you know, there was, uh, this, um, this date rape, and, you know, with a, with a woman who died in her hotel room. So, I mean, there is, you know, some dark elements to spring break, but at the end of the day, I mean, like, you know, these are all, I mean, I mean, I would say that, you know, like if your, if, if, if your crime is that you were, you know, twerking, you know, in the middle of the street. Uh, after curfew, it kind of like seems like wow, you're really going to put people in jail for that, right. <laughs> you know? During I mean? a pandemic, <laughs> you know, yeah. during a pandemic. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like I think that's what it was. It was trying to like walk a fine line, but at the same time, it's like I think that you know, one thing I was, I mean, I, I mean a lot of people have been asking is like, you know, okay, like you know, you know, all these people were coming. I mean, why did you just leave it to your, you know, your your 300 something? Uh, man, police force. I mean, why didn't you go ask the county to like, you know? come in and help uh before it got out of hand um uh, and i guess and again it goes back to miami beach's reputation of you know like of of creating sort of like a police state when you have a very young crowd coming to the city especially a predominantly black crowd um you know we've seen it you know with how the how the city you know um uses poli- um, you know license plate readers and other yep. kind of technology during Memorial Day weekend, yep. um, um, you know, it's this kind of stuff that kind of like, you know, then, you know, there's also been those years where, where you actually have militarized looking police um, on the streets. So, you know, so I think they're dealing with that. They're dealing with, you know, with how do we, how do we keep things under control, but at the same time, not look like we're trying to do some, you know, you know some racist policies. Um, but even then, it still comes off, you know, because it's again, you're you're cracking down on people who, 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 for the most part, are you know, are just here to have a good time and 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 enjoy the beach, enjoy the weather, enjoy the restaurants, um, you know, but getting you know, getting caught up, you know, and you know, with all this other mayhem that gets mixed in there. Yeah, yeah it's a fine line. Right. I, I think it's a great point. Um, it's a fine line, you know. When do you crack the whip, and when do you, you know, people in general, um, do, do you do you group everybody together? You know, the malcontents with the legitimate tourists. Um, you don't want to, you know, scare away the legitimate tourists. So I think there is a balance that's got to be struck. So, and then it creates the question: Is this an inflection point? Is this? Will there be dramatic changes? You know, everybody always referred to Fort Lauderdale when they used to get overwhelmed by spring breakers, and then they made a decision, and they totally dumped the spring breaker, and they went supposedly cultural, and then they had some real issues there for a while trying to get their sea legs. Do you, do you guys think that uh, Miami Beach might be at one of these moments where they take an abrupt turn, and, uh, you know, the future of Miami Beach has changed, you know, for the next decade or so? Well, it, it seems that they are because, I mean, you know, before spring break, they were already, you know, implementing, you know, like passing these ordinances and legislation to, you know, restrict the types of, you know, the, the type of activity you can have on Ocean Drive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, there's also like, you know, a part of that's also like allowing some um, uh, future commercial development of some of those buildings on Ocean Drive, um, including like possible additions, yep. which would, you know, which would, which I think, you know, like they feel that will, you know, create, um, you know, more of a revenue stream for, for these, for these businesses. 
Yeah. And um and kind of like change the whole you know, but you know, anything goes party atmosphere of Ocean Drive. And and if I could just add one more thing, this was one of my predictions from a previous week that uh, um spring break will be moved from Miami Beach. I did make this prediction, so um I'm just yeah, doing my not, own horn here. Yeah, I, but but I'm not sure you can actually move it. I mean, because if people decide yeah. I, do, do you guys remember after September eleventh? When you first had like the what do they call it bling break at the time, and everybody sort of came to um, you know there 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 was a whole, there was a whole cultural movement it was it was hip hop oriented that everybody came descended upon Miami and the local government officials and residents went crazy they didn't know what the hell was going on and that was a situation where the city said well listen nobody told us that they were coming you should have told us we could have prepared yada 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 so so I I guess my point is I don't know what the city can do to actually stop it if it's a if it's a movement where everybody's showing up. How do you really shut that down? What do you do? You jack up hotel prices, but that's not, you know, that's not necessarily an issue. Or, or am I reading it wrong? That the government basically has no say in this. They have to sort of adapt and and try to make it, um, you know, something that they can accept. No thoughts? Okay. Fair enough. Um, guys, let's go ahead and uh, let's get started with the rest of the podcast. Anybody who's listening to the podcast for the first time, let me just uh, sort of lay out what we're going to do. We are going to talk about uh, six stories that I handpicked. I'm going to ask the journalist uh, to go ahead and provide some straight talk to you, the listener. So, again, you can understand what's sort of coming down the pike. Um, keep in mind, salty language is permissible. So if anybody curses, I um, hope you don't get too offended by that. So we will do two segments where we're going to talk about six uh, articles total. We're actually going to have one of the pieces that was actually written by Francisco. We will then have a segment where I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and make a prediction. And then finally, we'll wrap it up with a comment section. Um, if you do want to send a comment, please send an email to inquire at condobultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condobultures.com. It can be a compliment, a complaint, it could be a question, it could be a statement, anything like that. Everything we've received, we go ahead and we read during our podcast, assuming Mr. Factor could actually find the email. So that being said, um, let's talk about the uh, COVID numbers. This is where I've been starting. We talked a lot about what Francisco was um, uh, discussing with, with the spring break. So I'm just going to run through the numbers very quickly, and then we'll jump right into the uh, into the stories. So we got 2.05 million confirmed cases in the state of Florida as of March the 30th, which is a Tuesday. This podcast is coming out on March the 31st, which is a Wednesday. 779,250,000 in South Florida. 779,250 is the confirmed cases in South Florida, which is comprised of Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. In Miami-Dade County, you got 438,900 cases. Broward is 211,400 cases. Palm Beach County will be 128,900. Those are confirmed cases. South Florida, for what it's worth, it represents about 28, excuse me, 38% of all cases in the state of Florida. Now, in terms of the number of people of dead, according to the Florida um, Department of Health COVID-19 dashboard, again, not vouching for the dashboard. I'm saying these are the official numbers. There's been a lot written about uh, the statistics and our cases and deaths. Are they actually being omitted? Don't really know, but these are the official numbers. Anybody who wants to look at the numbers or updated daily, go to Florida Department of Health COVID-19 dashboard, and you will find these same numbers. So uh, in terms of number of people who have died from COVID-19 in the state of Florida since the pandemic began, effectively a year ago, we got, uh, we got 33,338 deaths, according to the state. 11,100 have been in South Florida with 5,800 in Miami-Dade, 2,600 in Broward, and 2,600 in Palm Beach. That's an overview on the COVID-19 dashboard. Um, let's go ahead and let's get into the uh, stories. First story, John Fackler, we're going to go to you on this one. This is coming out of CNBC. I'll read the headline. I'll read the first couple um, uh, 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 key points, and then I'm going to ask you to comment, John. So um, headline, 
Say goodbye to the $30 plane tickets. The era of dirt cheap flights is ending. Uh, CNBC gives you three uh, key points. I'll, I'll read them to you, John, and then I'll ask you to comment. Airfares fell sharply as COVID-19 cases spiked. Point number two, vacationers are starting to return, propping up fares and hotel rates. And point number three, John, bargains are still out there with, uh, with business travelers expected to be slower to return. What say you, Mr. Feckler, is the days of uh, cheap airfare, is that going by the wayside? And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because keep in mind, they're cheap airfare because nobody's flying because we're all on lockdown because of the pandemic. But what say you, Mr. Feckler? No, I think uh, also economically it's it's ultimately a good thing in the long run uh, because if uh, prices are going to return to normal, uh, it's just another example of returning to normalcy. Uh, you could also translate that to the hotel business. If hotel prices uh, rebound, um, that's going to be a good thing. I saw uh, a story where it looked like there were um, an increase, I don't want to digress, but an increase in hotel bookings in May and June, which is traditionally a slow period, and suddenly, they, you know, why, why are people, you know, booking for, for that period? Because there's this pent-up demand. And I think that you're going to see that across all of the hospitality industries. Got it, got it, got it. And, and, and Mr. Peckler, for what it's worth, I was looking, um, I saw somebody posting on YouTube. <laughs> I like to watch YouTube. So I, somebody posted on YouTube, there's a brand new um, a sleeper car that Amtrak is introducing uh, which will take you from New York City down to um, uh, Miami. It's a 27-hour oh, really? trip. Yeah, I was I was I was watching it. The, the guys the guys are train fanatic. He's a he's a train spotter. I'm a crane spotter. So whatever. I don't yeah. know. Somehow I went down a rabbit hole and watching him. So we're talking about cheap airfare from New York and all around the country to come to Miami, which is one of the reasons Jean said that you know we got the big crowds for spring break. Um, but just for what it's worth, Amtrak they want five hundred dollars. For a sleeper uh, uh, train to ride from 20 for 27 hours from New York to Miami. John, you like to take the train because you don't particularly care to fly. Do you remember what it used to cost when you took the train uh, going from uh, yeah. Miami to uh, New I York? I could tell you exactly because I've taken the sleeper train from Miami to New York and vice versa. Um, there's several uh, types of cabins. You got the real cheap cabin and you got the really expensive cabin. But it, it, it's generally like 300 and change. So it looks like they upped the price of the sleeping cabin to 500 The um, expensive one, John, for what it's worth, $1,200. $1,200 there you and go. a cheap one yeah. is 500 and they, and, Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, it used to be about 750 800 So if you're saying the new price is 1200 they jacked that up too. Yeah, so interesting, interesting. So whatever it's worth. Yeah. Um, John, let, let's get a, let's get some comments uh, from you about this. Let, let me just read a graph or two before I ask you to comment. So this is again coming from the CNBC story. It says hotel occupancy in the U.S. this month through March 13th is averaging more than 51 percent, the highest in more than a year, according to hotel data analysis firm STR. In hot uh, vacation spots like Miami, occupancy is nearly 70 percent, with the average rates. Uh, of a hotel room bill for uh, $228 a night, the highest prices since February of 2020. Jamelia Ross, owner of the, and founder of the Copper Door B&B in Miami, said she had discounted her January and February rates by more than 40% to 100 bucks a night, but that she's since been able to increase them to about $120 a night. What do you use, Jean? Is this a, um, you know, what, what, what do you make of this? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Miami and South Florida in general is in a really good position because we have a lot of discount airlines, so like JetBlue and Southwest Airlines. And, in fact, those two airlines have just made a big push into Miami. Um, they traditionally served the Fort Lauderdale Airport, but they just started service to Miami International Airport. 
and they're going to be going head to head with American Airlines there. And I think that's going to make a big difference and keep keep our fares uh, relatively low. And, you know, since there's a lot of traffic, uh, potentially expansion opportunities to the Caribbean and Latin America, um, I, th- I think I think uh, we're in a we're in actually a much better spot than a lot of other places around the country where where fares might might be headed up more significantly. And I think that's going to be really helpful for hoteliers because really right now the leisure traveler is the only business that they've got. Uh, there's really hardly any business travel, and the business travels are the ones are the ones who subsidize the airlines. You know. When you when you get a cheap ticket on an airline, you're not the one paying. You're the business the business traveler is uh, for that first class ticket. So um, so the fact that these discount airlines are making a big push into South Florida now is is going to be really good for us. Keep fares low and help fill those hotels. And you know, 70% is sort of the you know the magic number for hoteliers. They they want to see better than 70% occupancy and Traditionally, I mean, at this time of year, they should be seeing like closer to 90% because it's spring break and it's, it's you know, people from up north and this is the high season. So, I mean, you know, 70% is good. It's not great, but, you know, at least at least they're they're making money now. Um, so, I, you know, I think um, generally I, I see that as, um, you know, kind of a positive indicator. Got it, got it, got it. And Francisco, let's go to you for story number two. This is coming out of the real deal, and this is something you wrote. So, Francisco, I just want to read the uh, the headline. I'm going to read the subhead. I'll read a couple of graphs, and then I'll just ask you to provide any kind of context you can. And it ties into the tourists uh, who are coming down here. So here we go. Miami Beach takes a nearly $500,000 hit to settle a lawsuit tied to short-term rentals. The subhead, city commission approved settlement after court ruling nullified Miami Beach's enforcement action against the owner of a home in the South Beach area. Here we go. First couple of graphs. Miami Beach is cutting its losses after a three-year legal battle with a boutique investment firm over the city's short-term rental crackdown. And just as a side note, Miami Beach, anybody who isn't aware, they were very aggressive. They were the bulldog basically running down and finding the hell out of anybody who was running an Airbnb without the proper zoning or anything like that. And we all know some people who might have been running an Airbnb where it wasn't necessarily approved. So keep that in mind. So second graph of the story, the results will cost uh, city taxpayers nearly half a million dollars, including lost revenue from alleged violations. Miami Beach's short-term rental ordinance by Safe Harbor Equity affiliate 3098 Alton Road, which owns a four-bedroom house at that address. Uh, the Miami Beach City Commission last week approved the settlement uh, agreement with the property's owner that includes a $250,000 payment to the company and the waiver of about two hundred grand in fines. Uh, the property accrued between 2017 and 2018. The owner was cited for allegedly operating a short-term rental in a neighborhood where they are not allowed. Francisco, uh, what can you tell us about this piece? And I know a lot of people are paying attention because Miami Beach was hunting people down with a 20 grand a day fine because they were running an Airbnb. Right. So what, the, what, what, what can you tell us, Francisco? Well, this is one of two or three cases, I think, that um, against the city or the owners, um, uh, you know, challenge the the ordinance itself. Um, you know, the under, you know, under that, you know, that it was a violation of their of their rights. Um, and then also, like, they also challenged the fee structure. And in this particular case, the owner was also suing because the city took an extra step and cut off his water. <laughs> uh, Ooh, that's nasty. After he, you know, when he wouldn't, you know, pay the fines, um, and the city for 
Congress tried to make the argument that, well, you know, you know, we can cut off the utilities because, you know, he owes fine for, you know, this other matter of uh, operating, of violating the code by operating an illegal short-term rental. The owner once, you know, won at the lower court level and then at the appeals level that the city did not have the authority to cut off his water because he was paying, he didn't pay his short-term rental fine. Um, you know, um, judges basically rule that the city can't, you know, the city could, you know, cut off his water if he didn't pay his water bill, but, you know, they couldn't apply the same logic to, you know, a violation of the code involving something else. Um, and um, long story short, the guy, uh, the owner wins another, you know, win, wins full summary judgment. And the, for some, I guess the city has figured out at that point that, you know, um, you know, it, it wasn't going to be successful on appeal um, and came up with a settlement agreement. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the owner is quoted in the story saying that he would have settled, that he offered to give pay the city $20,000 back when this all started. Uh, and the city told him to go pound sand. Uh, they, wanted the, they wanted the full 200 and, 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 you know, here we are. Now, now, now first of all, I'm not asking. I'm not asking for your opinion, but I'm wondering when you were speaking to people and, you know, reporting out the story and other stories related to it, um, this precedent setting, does this basically say, hey, listen, come on down to Miami Beach? Because Miami Beach basically can't enforce anything related to Airbnb, whether you're doing it correctly and properly or not. Well, uh, it basically just goes back to, it just reverts everything back to before they passed the, you know, they changed the fines to $20,000. Um, now, as I think it's you know they have to be they only can only they can only find what's allowed under state law, which is I believe a thousand or fifteen hundred. Yeah, it said a thousand dollars. It's up a thousand dollars a day for first-time right. offenses in the article, so, according to state law. Right. So basically, I mean that kind of like does take the teeth out of it because now it's like you know I mean I think people who I think people like will take that risk as a cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than, you know, the $20,000 hit at the cost of doing business. But, um, you know, but they can still, I mean, the city still can enforce, um, it, you know, um, it's, uh, it's short-term rental, where short-term rentals can, can operate. And, and yeah. Francisco, do you, do, you, do you happen to know, and I'm going to go to John for his, his opinion, but uh, do you happen to know, can, can they actually, um, uh, so, so let's just say, uh, let, let's use like, uh, you know, like a, a metaphor, like a parking spot. So you go ahead, you, you park at a spot, you put the money in the meter, uh, or you don't put the money in the meter, they write you a ticket. And basically, you leave the car there all night, and you're just like, screw it. I'm getting a $30 ticket, $35 ticket, you know, whatever. I'm not moving the car. What happens on an Airbnb? If they hit you for $1,000 a day, um, uh, do you have, does the people have to leave, or... Can they actually just write it out? Because if the, if the Airbnb is getting two Gs a day, and they're in the city's finding them a thousand dollars a day, I mean it seems like they're incentivized to let the people stay there. And, and somebody out there might be saying, "Well, how can you get that much money?" Well, sometimes what groups will do is they'll rent out these houses and they'll put on big bashes, and uh, you know they're able to uh, get a lot back in return. So, do, any insight about that, Francisco? Does the person uh, have to uh, vacate once a fine is issued uh, associated with short-term uh, rentals where they're not, uh, you know, uh, condoned by the city? I believe so. I believe, like, if you know, like, if the, I mean, again, don't hold me to this, but I believe, yeah, okay. if the code inspector comes to the door and there's somebody there and they say, hey, you're in the, and they can, you know, affirm that it's, 
you know, it's a short-term renter in a house, in a home that's not supposed to be a short-term rental, yep. they can, you know, they can get them to, they can ask them to leave. Okay. Um, Mr. Fackler, City of Miami Beach is having a hell of a time controlling uh, spring break crowd. Uh, you just heard what Francisco said about the story he wrote. I'm wondering, does the city have enough people to run down everybody running Airbnbs, whether legally <laughs> or illegally, in the city of Miami Beach? What say you, Mr. Fackler? Doesn't this just, just become an administrative nightmare? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I one of the first things that struck me reading the story was, you know, what you just brought up, what are the long-term implications here? You know, does this case, does the, you know, uh, the way the case unfolded, will it have an effect long-term with the Airbnb crowd? You know, how is this going to affect things going forward? Um, I can't, it seems unclear to me where where we might be going with that because nothing really has changed as far as the regulations. Um, I, you know, I, I as far as the spring break crowd, I'm not really sure, you know, how that's going to affect it because, um, uh, I mean, it could be in effect, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. You know, it's a beautiful kicker that the guy mentioned, oh, by the way, I, I offered to settle with him for $20,000. I mean, it just shows that how, you know, ridiculous, A, these these uh, ordinances are to begin with, but also how incredibly, you know, uh, greedy they are, you know. Uh, now that what's happening, they lost the case and they're going to have to pay out all this money. And I'm curious how that's going to affect them going forward. Are they going to be gun shy, leveling any more fines going forward? Because apparently they don't have to pay the fines either. So it'll be interesting to see how this how this plays out. You know, in long term, as far as Airbnb, if that's going to be affected, or if 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 the, if the ordinances are going to change, actually, which is possible. Um, but um, you never know. Yeah, and just just as a side note, anybody isn't aware, one of the reasons why City Miami Beach is very aggressive in terms of these Airbnb uh, people who aren't doing it necessarily, uh, you know, the way the city wants them to do it, is that uh, uh, we don't have state income tax in the state of Florida. And as a result, a lot of infrastructure projects are funded by tourists who are coming and visiting, whether they're renting a car or they are sleeping in a hotel room. And there's money, effectively, uh, that comes from this. Uh, taxes, if you will, that go towards paying for bonds. So that's one of the reasons why uh, the government really wants to make sure that the hotel uh, night stays, uh, uh, you know, that that doesn't get hurt because that could create issues related to bonds. So, and that's just a real simple layman's terms perspective. I'm not an expert in that, but just to sort of give you some context. Okay, story number three. Uh, Jean, let's go to you, Jean, Jean Bruce. This is coming out of the Miami Herald. Um, headline, Jean, is for the first time in months, Miami house prices dip. Condo prices are still rising, though, okay? I'll read you the first couple of graphs, John, and I want to get your perspective. Here we go. South Florida house hunters may finally be catching a break after months of increases. The median price for a single-family home appears to be stabilizing. Miami-Dade County, the median sales price dipped to only four hundred fifty grand in February, despite shrinking supply, according to the Miami uh, Realtors Association's latest sales report. That marks a 4% dip from its record high of four hundred seventy grand in January and the first decrease in single-family house prices since COVID-19 lockdown began a year ago, the price decrease came as a surprise to Nancy Corey, the Southeast Florida Regional Vice President of Coldwell Banker Realty. She said that the price drop could be due to increased sales activity below the median sales price. What say you, Jean? Um, are, have we seen the peak of single-family house prices in South Florida, and are they heading downward from here, or is this simply an anomaly? Well, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't think you can make a trend out of just one month's data, but it seems to me the market is so distorted uh, anyway because of the uh, the 
incredible shrinkage of inventory and the crazy demand that we've seen and the pandemic. I mean, this market um, is it's, it's, it's really difficult to make heads or tails of it. And um, it's, it's just not a normal market. It's totally distorted. The mortgage rates are ridiculously low. I mean, uh, all of that, you put all that in the soup, you know, and, and then you try to read the tea leaves um, from a month's worth of data. And I, I'm not quite sure that we've seen the end of, of these price increases. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, so <laughs> I, I think uh, we're going to have to wait a few more months to see whether this is a trend or not. But my guess is it's not. It's just a temporary thing. It's a temporary thing. And Francisco, what, what what do you make of that? Is this um is this the beginning of a trend, a downward trend in single family home prices, or do you think that this is uh, again simply an anomaly based on all the reporting you're doing and you know as close as you monitor the market? What what say you? Um, well, I mean, I mean, it could be an anomaly. I mean, um, at the same time, I I mean, I've always felt that you know sooner or later things would you know I mean well, I'm sorry. As soon as you know we started rounding the corner, corner on this pandemic, and you know if people were getting their vaccines, that you know all you know the all the demand would start to you know you know um, cool off a little bit, just because you know people can go back and stay where they're at, or they can go back home. I mean, there was that story in Bloomberg recently about all these New Yorkers that. Uh, we're coming back. We're heading back to the big, you know, to New York, and you know that it's not translating. Um, you know the the big, the, you know, like all these. Again, it just seems like it, we're we're entering a phase where things are going to start cooling off. I don't know if it's going to like, you know, I can't say it's going to turn into something that's going to be, um, you know, uh, cause for concern or, you know, like all of a sudden we're going to be like, you know, seeing prices plummet, but. Um, but here's a little factoid um, that I just got uh, last week from Realty Hop uh, regarding, you know, um, March. Um, according to their March report, Miami ranked 13th as the weakest housing market in the country, and wow. that homes in the uh, and that homes in the city required an average 4.04% price reduction to be taken off the market. So, I mean, uh, again, I mean, that's from Realty Hop. I haven't really like you know dug deep into 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 this and what the context is, but again, I I think yeah we're you know we're we're entering that phase of rounding the corner of the pandemic, where, where I don't think the demand is going to be how it was um, you know a couple of months ago you know even over like how it was during the summer. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, just a tidbit related to that, you know, talking about people coming from out of town, coming here and buying. I did a podcast two weeks ago with a gentleman from California. He's an investor. He does stuff in the um, Sacramento area. He's also in Texas, and he's been trying to get into Florida. And what he tells me from a California perspective is he tried to come into Florida, and but he has gone into Texas. The reason he did Texas over, Calif- uh, over Florida is that ultimately Texas pricing and Florida pricing are similar. They both are tax-free states. They both are open to business with little regulation. The difference is, though, for him to come to South Florida, he's spending eight hours effectively traveling because he's got a layover in order to get down to Miami versus Texas. He can get on a plane and be there in three and a half hours. So, you know, when it comes down to that, he just says it's easier and closer 
to home for him to go to Texas rather than Florida. Not that he's not interested. It's just it's more of a dream. It's a little bit more distant where maybe somebody from New York, it might be a little bit easier go because it's, what, a three-, four-hour flight, uh, you know, once you get a JFK or LaGuardia down to Miami International or Fort Lauderdale. So something to keep in mind. Guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a, a short commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into the next four stories, including Florida City in southern Miami-Dade County. They're actually hired a law firm to start evictions, even though there's a moratorium. We're also going to talk about a group out of New York that has just obtained financing, and they're going to start building a mixed-use project down in the Brooklyn Avenue area. And then we're going to talk about a the launch of the largest, or excuse me, the tallest uh, condo tower that's proposed south of Manhattan, and it's going up in downtown Miami. So we're going to discuss that on the other side of the break. This is Peter Zalewski of the Condo Vultures podcast. Before I started doing these podcasts, I basically was in the business of being a licensed real estate broker, a contributing um, columnist for the Miami Herald, as well as the Miami Real Deal, but also expert witness work in consulting. So if you are looking for an expert witness or if you're looking for consulting services, a straight talk perspective as to what's going on in a particular marketplace, a building, or what happened previously for whatever your situation is, whether you are a, an attorney whether you are an institutional fund looking to invest or whether you're a lender who's trying to come up with some sort of a strategy and approach uh, for your lending committee going forward, I just might be able to help you to get a hold of me. Please uh, reach out to peter at condovultures.com. That's peter at condovultures.com. Or give me a call to the office at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859. If you're enjoying the Condo Vultures podcast, and you want more information, but this information in the written word as well as charts, why not sign up for the South Florida Distressed Market Intelligence Report? To do so, go to condovulturesrealty.com. Slightly below the main banner and logo, you will see a sign-up box. It's called the South Florida Distressed Market Intelligence Report. Sign up. Simply enter your email address, hit subscribe, and lo and behold, every week you'll be sent a newsletter giving you the latest updates on what's going on in the distressed market in South Florida. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. Having a conversation with Francisco Alvarado. He has been a journalist for north of 18 years. You've seen his work in a variety of places, including The Real Deal as well as The Daily Beast. we got a gentleman uh, called John Groose. He runs a company called Groose Communications. He was a journalist for north of 25 years, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Um, right now he's doing public relations and marketing. And then finally we've got John Fackler. He worked at the South Florida Business Journal where he covered white-collar crime in publicly traded companies. And he right now is doing public relations and uh, marketing consulting. So uh, story number four, Mr. Fackler, let's go to you. This is coming out of the Herald. And um, let me read you the headline in the first couple of graphs, and then I want to get your comment. Headline, Florida City. And anybody who doesn't know what the, it's Florida City is, it's basically south of um, – uh, uh, it's southern part of Miami-Dade County. It's on the way to the, to the, uh, to the Keys. So here we go. Headline, Florida City hires law firm to proceed with mass evictions. Uh, first couple graphs, Mr. Fackler. Florida City's elected commission voted Tuesday night to hire a Coral Gables law firm to represent the town against a lawsuit. Um, a town against a lawsuit filed by about 70 residents facing eviction from a city-owned trailer park. On March 17th, Miami-Dade Circuit Court judge granted the residents of the Florida City campsite in RV Park a temporary victory when he issued an injunction on the same day of the city's planned evictions. But Mayor Otis Wallace made it clear the 15-acre property would ultimately have to empty of its tenants and its trailers. Mr. Fackler, there's a moratorium that the CDC has just extended that's taken us, I think, through the end of June. It was scheduled to expire at the end of March. How is the city, uh, how is Florida City and a municipality in Dade County 
how are they going to kick people out of um, out of their homes? You know, this, right. this, this is yeah, this is a very interesting story because one of the things that struck me um, is that this really has very little to do with the pandemic. Essentially, what happened here is uh, this is a real estate play. Um, this they they were warned many months ago. The inhabitants of this technically a low low income trailer park is essentially what it is that they had a skedaddle. Uh, apparently, they planned on redeveloping the site. So it's not about people not paying their rent, um, you know, because because they're they're in trouble because of the pandemic. Pandemic. I mean, they they're getting basically forci- forcibly removed because they want to develop the site. So um, yeah, that that to me made it. Um, kind of interesting and really made me think about the different scenarios that will happen related to this moratorium because, you know, this could happen where developers look to, to you know, try to make a play for land or to develop uh, pieces of land. Um, and maybe they could, you know, use this as an excuse and try to get in there. Um, I, I thought it looked like it was really more of a real estate play than, a, than a, an issue where people weren't paying their rents. I could be wrong. I don't know if I if I miss something in the story, but um, that was kind of shocking. An example of what could happen. Francisco, don't don't we need a little empathy now that uh, Grant? A lot of people are getting vaccinated, um, uh, and supposedly we've got a very strong housing market, single family. Although the previous uh, segment we talked about how the house prices actually have come down in uh, in Miami, but don't we need a little empathy at least to get us to the point where people can um, you know go about their lives but not be concerned? That they're going to die from the damn pandemic, and 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 what what, what gives here? Any, any any thoughts, Francisco? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, just to confirm what John said, it, yeah, yeah, this is a, all about a, a real estate deal. Um, that's been. I mean, I wrote I I wrote about this as part of a magazine story for the Real Deal about uh, mobile home communities mm-hmm. and how they're you know um, like how in some cases like this one. They're just being um, completely erased and wiped out, um, and and a lot of times, you, you know, like you know, government is like supposed to protect these the most vulnerable, right? And, right. And here we have here we have a situation where the government is doing the exact opposite, and unfortunately, this is not, um, you know, this is kind of like part for the course. Um, I just did a story for Florida Bulldog, where the city of Lake Worth Beach. Is do is basically um, issuing code violations to uh, a mobile home park of people who are 55 and over for addition and improvements made before they change the zoning on the property. Wow! <laughs> so, so that goes to show you that I mean, like you know, like you know, government, you know, for some reason uh, they want to force out the. The what really is one of the last you know resorts for for people who can't afford uh, a regular apartment. That's amazing. And to remind everybody, there is no state income tax in the state of Florida. Way these cities, um, way city, a county, and a school board gets uh, you know a lion's share of its revenue is from property taxes. So the higher place is worth, the more property taxes paid. Typically on a residential, it's about two percent. Uh, you know, and there's 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 exemptions for homesteads and things like that. But basically, the cash from real estate taxes is what's filling the coffers of the government officials, and that's how they can afford to do everything that they go ahead and do. So, um, interesting point, uh, Francisco. Um, uh, story number five, uh, Jean Gruss, let's go to you. This is coming out of the real deal. And for disclosure, for disclosure, um, I did some consulting on this project uh, years ago, probably about 
three, four years ago now, um, uh, when it was first, when they were first looking and going ahead and trying to put up a condo. So, uh, John, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read you the first couple graphs and the headline, and then I'll ask you to comment. And then after that, I'm going to go to Mr. Fackler. So here we go. So, John, the headline is, Chatreet scores $15 million from Miami River's $1 billion mixed-use project. Loan adds to the previous $55 million financing for long-planned six-acre development site. Now, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to read the story, but just to uh, help everybody understand where this is, this is a development site um, right on the south bank of the Miami River. It's in the western portion of what I would call the Brickell Avenue area. So there's going to be a public there on about 7th Street, uh, southwest 7th Street. And what is that? That's probably 3rd Avenue West, southwest 3rd uh, Avenue uh, going west. Um, a lot of people know because there, there was a riverfront bar, uh, I think it's called Finnegan's, that's located there. So, so this site is all in and around there. So, John, let me go ahead and read this to you, and then I, I want you to get some comments. So, uh, again, the headline is, Chatreet scores $15 million for Miami River's $1 billion mixed-use project, loan answer the previous $55 million financing for long-planned six-acre development sites. Uh, the Chatreet Group is pushing forward with its long-planned mixed-use Miami River mega project and scored a $50 million construction loan, bringing its total financing to $70 million. Chatreet Group, through its affiliate MC Miami River, secured the loan from MSD, uh, PCOF, Partners, XXXIV, an affiliate of MSD Partners, and a mortgage record show. Uh, the loan adds to New York-based Chatreet Group's financing for the project after it secured a $55 million pre-development loan two years ago from New York-based real estate investor and developer Rabina Properties. Rabina reassigned that loan to MSC Partners on March 15th, the same day MSC issued a new $15 million mortgage. Chitreet Group bought out its partner, New York-based JDS Development, led by Michael Stern, when it took out the pre-development loan in 2016. City Miami Beach approved Chitreet Group's $1 billion project. In October of 2015, the plan is for five-phase development that ultimately will deliver a 330-key hotel room, 1,700 residential units, 266,000 square feet of retail and office space, and more than 2,000 parking spaces. John, is this uh, what, what do you make of this? We're hearing about a lot of new condos coming forward, and now we got a mixed-use project, which is going to include office and retail, looking to pull the trigger on what will be a billion-dollar complex if it's developed all at the same time. What, what say you, John? Is this uh, somebody just trying to move dirt and take advantage of uh, uh, what could be an upside of the market, or is there something maybe more here? Well, I mean, I mean, this is just a gi ginormous project, and um, it, it seemed like, you know, it was um, the timing uh, wasn't good for it. And um, I, I was reading in the story that actually Fortune International had sued sued him uh, for for not holding up his end of the bargain, and uh, for Fortune was going to be the sales the sales team for the project, and. Um, I think Fortune is pretty well established here. So, um, you know, it seems to me that like, uh, you know, the fact that, that, that they, um, that they got off the project, uh, is not, is not a good sign for it. Um, and maybe, maybe they need to reevaluate, but it just, it just seems like this is, this is, this might be a project for like a future cycle, you know, um, just because of its sheer size and all the other stuff that's going on. Um, it it seems it just seems way ahead of its time, but you know I I'm hey, not putting up the money for it. <laughs> right, John. Quick question before I go to John Faxon and get his comments. Um, uh, do you know Brickell City Center, which by the way is about three blocks away, and um, how busy is Brickell City Center, which is another billion dollar complex, maybe close to two billion dollar complex, 
which is, again, is located three blocks away. And what impact, if any, do you think one will have on the other? Yeah, I mean, look, Brickell City Center, they were supposed to build a third a third tower, but they haven't, you know, they haven't broken ground on that. And the and the shops, um, you know, I mean, if you, if you go to Brickell City Center, there's not very many people inside the shops and you don't see a lot of people buying stuff. Um, so I'm not sure about the retail portion of it. Um, and of course, the hotel, you know, hasn't done very well in this whole pandemic. So, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, I, the time is it's just a matter of timing, you know, I mean, it could, it could be years ahead of its time. And Mr. Fessler, <laughs> you've already made it uh, known that you're not much of a shopper. You don't like to go out to go shopping. Um, have you been to Brickell City Center, which, again, is an existing project, billion-dollar-plus development, which has condos, office, retail, a whole variety of things? Um, and do you think there's a need for uh, a part two, if you will, although this one's located directly on the river, and it's going to be uh, anchored by a number of condo towers? But, again, it's a five-phase development, so it could be built over the course of years. And is this, is this project moving forward simply because they want to get the, you know, the ball moving, if you will, and cash is still relatively cheap because interest rates haven't gone up dramatically yet? What well, say you, Mr. Packer? Well, I wouldn't know about the uh, highfalutin, the upscale. You know, I should sort of stay away from the upscale sports. But uh, to me, the first thing that struck me was that this is a classic example of New York real estate people parachuting into Miami and not knowing what the hell they're doing. Um, I, I, this, apparently, this project was planned since 2015. As uh, John had mentioned, they ran into uh, some obstacles with Fortune. They also apparently had another property in Miami Beach that went for closure. So I'm starting to wondering how, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that most of the entities involved here were New York-based. Uh, is this a question of not just bad timing, but of not knowing the market? You know, um, there's a lot of, um, we've, a lot, we've got, you know, Brickle City Center. You've got all these things being built. It took a long time to get them up, and now you're going to start to try to turn this thing up and get something built. I, it just It just seems to me, you know, they already had an issue with timing before pandemic, then the pandemic hits. And I'm uh, just curious if they kind of know what they're doing. Well, I, I can tell you, and again, I, I did some consulting related to the condo towers for this particular project uh, a few years back. I'm not currently oh, affiliated okay. whatsoever. I, I will tell you, though, Shatreek Group is very well capitalized. They've done a lot okay. in New York. They've also carved out a name down here in South Florida. Um, uh, they actually owned a site that ultimately was sold to the Faena Group, where they're putting up a phase two of the Faena um, uh, condo complex the Faena District, if you will. They also own a place on um, Ocean Drive where they bought out a bunch of condo hotels. And, and they did some distress buying in the, uh, during the last real estate cycle. And they also own a whole okay. uh, series of hotels all in and around the Bass Art Museum in Miami Beach. So, uh, you know, they definitely know what they're doing. But, uh, John, you know, uh, John mentioned timing, and I think that's always an issue, uh, you know, in, in a whole variety of issues. So uh, story number six. Francisco, we're going to go to you uh, simply because I want to get your take on this, and I think I have a feeling it's going to be a pretty interesting take. It's coming out of the New York Post. So here's what we got for the headline. Tallest condo tower south of Manhattan launches in Miami. Francisco, it says Miami's on the rise in more ways than one. Not only has the city attracted boatloads of wealthy Manhattanites during the pandemic, but even the skyline is getting the New York City treatment, a new 100-story tower. The Waldorf Astoria Residence Miami is now open for sale starting today, and once complete, it breaks ground next year, 
It will become the highest residential tower south of Manhattan, the first Waldorf Astoria in Miami. Property will sit on the uh, will sit 1,049 feet above Biscayne Bay and offer sweeping views of both the uh, water and the city. It will have a mix of uh, 360 residences and 250 hotel rooms and suites that will bring it um, will belong to the five-star Waldorf Astoria. Francisco, we got an 84-story tower called the Panorama, which is a rental tower. Right. We got the Four Seasons uh, down on Brickell Avenue. Um, you know, we've had some tall uh, towers uh, around. A, do we need another tower? And B, what do you make of the timing? Uh, and C, what about a Waldorf Astoria? Does it carry clout and juice in this particular market? Um, what say you, Mr. Alvarado? Um, I'm going to probably have to say a hard no to all those three questions. <laughs> uh, um yeah i just don't get it like it, it doesn't i mean like it just i mean for one it reads like a press release um this story uh so there's no like nuance or context as to like you know where the market is at this point that convinced um pmg that now is the time to do a hundred story luxury tower in downtown miami um and I don't think, I mean, yeah, and as far as I mean, the name Waldo for Storia, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that carries a lot of, you know, weight here in Miami. Uh, but again, it's probably not going to be targeted to people here in Miami anyway. So, you know, maybe that doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, just, you know, the people who, who would stay at the Waldo for Storia in New York will likely, you know, want to stay at the Waldo for Storia in Miami. Um, so on the hotel side, I think that, you know, I guess, you know, they're fine, but. I just mean like, um, man, it's just like, I mean, like, in, you know, looking at this rendering, I mean, it's going over Bayfront Park and, and, and Bayside Mall. Um, and, I mean, will the, and then will the FAA give it clearance? Um, I don't know. There's, I, mean, I just have more questions and there's not enough answers in the story to really feel that, you know, that now is the time to, for a project of this magnitude to, you know, to, to be in the, you know, even in the, in the conceptual phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, m m Mr. Cruz, um, it says the pricing is going to start at a million dollars and go up to about $10 million or so in this particular building. Keep in mind, this is the same developer that's going forward with the 11 condo uh, project, which is named after, the Cabaret, don't call it a titty bar or a strip joint, but the Cabaret 11. Um, uh, uh, I'm just wondering, Waldorf Astoria, does it carry cloth down here? And is somebody going to pay a million bucks to be on Biscayne Boulevard? Keeping in mind, uh, uh, recently there was a foreclosure action filed against the Thousand Museum, which is a project designed by Zaha Hadid, which is pushing north of $1,000 a foot. Now, ultimately, they were able to um, refinance out of that foreclosure and everything is fine there because some of the units had not sold, and that's what ultimately led to the foreclosure. But what say you, Mr. Uh, Bruce? Is there a market for high-end condos, and does Waldorf Astoria carry clout on here? Well, well, this is this is why the story is in the New York Post. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, terrible story. Uh, reads like a press release. Uh, it's true. <laughs> Somebody, somebody, somebody placed this story very well from a PR standpoint. I mean, you know, come on, you you put the, I mean, Waldorf Astoria for New Yorkers, you know, it's always going to hold that sort of, um, you know, magical name. I mean, most most people outside New York, um, 
you know, Waldorf Astoria doesn't have the same sort of uh, name recognition and cachet, but in, but in New York, it's got, I think it's got the, it's got the, um, you know, the history uh, and, um, and the name recognition. And so this is squarely aimed at New Yorkers, you know, and, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is just a, a way to sort of uh, test the market. I mean, they're going to, they're going to start sales. So, I mean, they're going to have to generate a significant amount of sales before they get a construction loan to get started on the project. So maybe this is just a, this is just an ad, you know, like, Hey guys, um, you know, come on down to Miami and let's, let's, uh, let's get you in a Waldorf Astoria condo. And, um, um, so I'm not, I'm not really, um, I mean, this is another announcement, you know. <laughs> Nobody's the, the moving in the dirt yet. Right? John, yeah, the land of an, it's the land of announcements. We live in the land of announcements. I mean, you announce these things and, and throw it on the wall, see if it sticks, put a story in the New York Post, you know, use the name Waldorf Astoria, and think that you're going to get all these New Yorkers that are going to come flocking down here. So, and, you know, maybe, maybe in the heat of the pandemic, uh, but, but perhaps now that New Yorkers are heading back to New York and, and maybe they feel better about their city, <laughs> uh, it may be too late. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Great. Um, guys, let's go ahead. We'll take a commercial break. The other side break, I'm going to ask the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction. This is Peter Zaluski of the Condo Vultures podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And I wanted to alert you that if you have a property that you're looking to sell in the Tri-County, South Florida area, I would encourage you to reach out to Jenny Hortus, a licensed real estate broker with CVRRealty.com. She's my partner. She's been in the business for uh, north of 15 years. More importantly, she knows the market. She knows how to get a deal done. And she also realizes that it's more important to get a price that you can accept and sell the property rather than to hold firm on some price that's never going to be achieved and ultimately languish on the market. So if you're looking to do a deal that you want a skilled expert who can help you sell a property, reach out to Jenny Hortis at 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or visit her website, cvrrealty.com. If you're listening to this podcast, think about who else is. If you want to reach that crowd, which tends to be investors, buyers, developers, lenders, why not advertise on the Condo Vultures podcast? To do so, give us a call at the office, 305-865-5859, 305-865-5859, or send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Welcome back to the Reporters Roundtable. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is the prediction segment. This is where I ask all the panelists to go ahead and make a prediction about something coming down the pike. Now, normally during our podcast, what we do is we go ahead and we have a comment section, which should be segment number four. But we had a great uh, conversation at the beginning of this podcast with Francisco Alvarado. He was on assignment for the Daily Beast. He was on Ocean Drive, right in the heart of South Beach when all hell was breaking loose um, in terms of a whole variety of different things. Uh, uh, headlines related to spring breakers and COVID and super spreader and BDC world headlines, national headlines. So we spent a lot of time with that. And what we're going to do is we're going to nick the comment section, this particular segment, uh, but we are going to do the uh, prediction segment, which is, uh, tends to be a good one. And the reason I want to do that is we have Francisco on. Uh, we have him during the cycle, and it seems like everything he predicts is coming true. Let me give you two examples. One thing Francisco predicted way back when 
is that we wouldn't see a cruise ship leaving the United States until 2022. And I was a little, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if that was skeptical. I didn't know if that was going to be the case. And it looks like that's going to probably play out. The other thing we heard from Francisco is that interest rates were going to be going up. They were going to be going up. And if anybody pays attention to the stock market, you see that interest rates are creeping upward, whether the Federal Reserve wants to move them up or not. So, Francisco, let's start with you with the predictions. Uh, you know, you, you called some stuff that has been pretty much dead on. Um, so I, I want to know what you're what you're thinking right now. What do you think uh, coming down the pipe? Um, I will predict that Miami-Dade County finally removes its midnight curfew in May. In May, okay. And that's a gut instinct. You're hearing that from maybe people in the uh, entertainment industry. You're hearing that from government types. What um, you, you know, know, just you know, yeah, there's the signs there that it's that it's coming to an end soon. Uh, particularly, uh, certain nightclub venues um, advertising for uh, for um, job fairs. Oh, interesting, interesting. So that would be that would be a good two months before President Biden has uh, basically told the um, American uh, uh, citizenry, I can't say that word, that uh, 4th of July, uh, Independence Day, uh, people would be able to get together. So so you're saying, wow, uh, we we could see some dramatic changes in the next month or so, which also would be post-spring break, which is also an interesting uh, time element. So we'll we'll watch for that. Let's go to Jean Groose. Jean also has a reputation for predicting a lot of things that ultimately bear fruit and come true. Jean, uh, what what do you think in this particular uh, moment? Uh, what's your latest prediction? Well, my my prediction is that um, this summer's uh, tourism season will uh, once again be without Europeans or Latin Americans. Um, I, I don't know if you've been following the news from overseas, but. Uh, the COVID numbers are looking pretty bad in Latin America and in Europe. The rollout of the vaccinations is going really poorly. And um, yes. so that means that I think, uh, and, and there's some travel bans in Europe. Uh, of course, there's the travel ban on Brazil. Um, and I think uh, once again, uh, you know, su- summertime is, a, is a typically the time when uh, Europeans uh, come to vacation in Florida and they, they really fill, fill up the beds here. Um, and I don't think, uh, I don't think we're, we're going to have them this year, unfortunately. And that's, that also has an impact on real estate because um, a lot of Europeans um, come shopping for real estate um, in South Florida in the summertime. And I think um, if, if I were in the hotel business or the real estate business, I would be focusing 100% of my energies on the domestic market, which is, you know, what it's going to be this summer. So uh, that's my prediction. Interesting prediction, John. Um, I I will say um, uh, if someone's interested in sort of know about the domestic side of the real estate market, I had a a gentleman who's a commercial lender. He's been doing it for north of 35 years down here, a guy called Jim Freed. He was on my uh, um, uh, Real Estate Players Profile podcast on Friday. He made a very interesting um, uh, uh, analysis, I thought, he says the reason we see the domestic buyers, whether they're Californians or they're New Yorkers, coming down here and having a bigger presence is that Latin American investors and European investors simply aren't here. And as a result, where the Latin American or the European investor might be bidding up prices that uh, New Yorkers and Californians are uncomfortable with, 
given their absence, that's what's created this opportunity for domestic buyers. So I don't know if you, anybody thinks anything about that, but uh, something to sort of keep in mind. Now, now uh, we start, I, I mentioned Francisco predicts a lot of stuff that's dead on. I mentioned that John predicts some stuff a lot that's dead on. There's always got to be a blend. So for everyone that's going up, you got someone that's not necessarily going up, but going in the opposite direction, which leads us to John Fackler. John, um, uh, what, give us an update. What was the last thing you predicted correctly, and, and what are you going to predict this time that hopefully will come true? What say you? Uh, I think I, I had a good prediction uh, recently about uh, uh, Governor Cuomo going down. Uh, I think Sean uh, uh, was very kind to point that out, that I actually kind of nailed that uh, that prediction. But um, Isn't Cuomo still the governor of the uh, state of New York, though? Yeah, he's still the governor, but I predicted that he was going to get this, he was going to get taken down by all these sexual assault uh, allegations, and it looks like it's uh, at that point there was only like one or two, and it, it's starting to uh, starting to heat up big time. But I won't, uh, you know, I won't get into it because I've uh, my track record is not anything to brag about on this prediction. <laughs> so. All right, so 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 maybe maybe you can get some of the positive energy from Francisco and John. And give us well, a prediction that, um, that uh, Francisco, because what I'm going to do here is piggyback on one of his predictions. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry I have to do this, but it was only because I read a story a few days ago. Apparently, um, the trade association for the cruise lines was pushing back big time against, I guess the CDC had recommended it, unless it was another organization, that they should not be doing any cruises in um, until the fall. And what they, they tried to push back and say, no, we want to do it in July and August. And CDC said no. And um, so it looks like uh, any any resemblance of a rebound by the cruise industry this summer is not going to happen. It's not going to happen probably in the fall, and that probably won't happen until December or the late months of the year. However, because they've been hit so badly, the balance sheet is not going to recover by the first quarter of next year. So my prediction is they will not see profitability until the second quarter of 2022. All right. So your your prediction is that the cruise lines will not be profitable? Right. Until uh, second quarter of 2022. Okay. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> no, Got I, it. you could have any smart-ass comments, I'm, I'm welcome to them. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> they don't have a business, op- operational business right now, do they? I mean, they're, they're no, trying that's to... Why I said, that's why I, I, don't, know, I don't know if that's a prediction. I think that's more so an expectation. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, okay, no, 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 we'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll let you... We'll let you we we'll let you go with that one. I'm you sure watch, watch me crash and burn is what you're saying. Okay. No, I'm not trying to watch you crash and burn. I'm just saying you're you know if you don't have a business operating because you know everything is shut down, I don't see how you could be profitable unless maybe you're day sure. trading. Maybe maybe some of the executives are Jake. You know, could be day trading over there. <laughs> which um you know which by the way, if anybody doesn't know, uh, the 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 um uh, three of the largest cruise companies in the world are all uh, based here in South Florida, and many of them go out of not only uh, Port Miami, but also Port Everglades, which is the seaport for um, uh, Broward County, which is where which yeah. is where Fort Lauderdale is. So, yeah. now um, my prediction, my prediction is we are going to start to see some real pullback in commercial real estate prices, 
especially in areas including, now get this, get this, Wynwood, Wynwood. Anybody doesn't know what Wynwood is? Wynwood is an area that uh, effectively was all industrial. At one time, it was a lot of manufacturing was done there, according to uh, historian um, uh, Paul George. Uh, it's an area uh, roughly between 20th and 29th. Uh, from about uh, Miami Avenue west to Interstate 95. It turned into a, just a fantastic destination for wall muralists or graffiti artists, whatever you want to call them. Restaurants popped up there. All kinds of out-of-towners came in, especially New Yorkers, calling it Soho, uh, uh, saying that they wanted to invest. They all came in dropping top dollars. Then we had the pandemic hit. Now we're seeing signs that maybe that wind would uh, can only go up type of mentality. Yeah, maybe it's not necessarily as strong as many people would think. Keeping in mind, 10 years ago during the Great Recession, uh, we were looking to selling dirt and as well as real estate in that area for pennies. I'm talking pennies on the dollar. I'm not talking 50 cents on the dollar. I'm talking 10, 20 cents on the dollar. So um, uh, how am I justifying my prediction that Wynwood uh, commercial real estate prices are not firm? Uh, this is coming out of the real deal publication where you're going to see Francisco Alvarado's uh, uh, work quite often. And uh, the headline is Red Sky and JV sells Wynwood Block at a loss, at a loss for $24 million. Uh, the two groups, they bought this property six years ago. Six years ago, they paid $26 million. Now they just dumped it for $24 million in order to go away. So my point is um, everything in Miami seems like it can never go down. It only goes up. And I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who have never played here long enough. And they're going to come to realize that uh, it doesn't only go up in South Florida and in Miami, even though we are the gateway to Latin America, and that includes Wynwood. So my prediction, again, is that real estate prices, commercial real estate prices in Wynwood, they're not going to be backstopped, and we are going to see some price decreases uh, along the way in that particular market as we go forward. So before we shut down this podcast, does anybody want to mention anything? Again, we're not doing the comments because we spent uh, a lot of time talking about Francisco's um, uh, uh, reporting uh, on South Beach, so you know the podcast already go longer than, than it should. But does anybody want to make any comments before I should go ahead and shut it down? Nope. Nope. Okay, nope. hearing none. That is Francisco Alvarado. He's been a journalist for North of 18 years. He's an investigative reporter. His work appears in a variety of different publications, including the Daily Beast, The Real Deal, The Florida Bulldog. We also had Jean Gruce. Jean was a journalist for North of 25 years. Uh, including a gig at the Tampa Tribune. Right now he has his own population marketing firm called Groose Communication. And then we have John Spackler, who worried about white-collar crime and publicly traded companies in, um, uh, based in South Florida from the South Florida Business Journal. He now does public relations and marketing. And I'm Peter Zalewski. I want to remind you, if you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and, and uh, a comment. more ratings and comments we get, the more likely we are to uh, spread our message to new audiences and help uh, us to accomplish our mission, which is trying to bring straight talk to an overhyped real estate market. And then finally, send us a comment if you want to um, you know, make a statement, uh, ask a question, compliment, uh, criticize. We want to hear from you. Please send that email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Until next time, hope everybody stays safe, you stay strong, you get inoculated, and we get through this pandemic very quickly. So uh, we'll catch up soon. Ciao, ciao.